Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Last week, I had Robbie Brothers on the programme. He headed up the group of companies that brought about the Cross Harbour Tunnel, which was opened in the summer of 1972. A series of steel tubes piped in concrete with tunnels with two lanes in both directions. Later in the programme, I'll be playing an excerpt from Radio Hong Kong reporting on the opening in 1972 with a list of statistics from the reporter from down in the harbour when the tunnel was opened by the then Governor, Sir Murray McLehose. But first, a soothing cup of tea in Chater Garden, where I joined Belle Ng, who runs a small business called Searching Cha. She talks to me about the teas she sources at plantations on the mainland, and also the art of artisan tea roasting in Taiwan. But she also has her own personal story of how she overcame her own major life challenge to embark on this new journey. Here's Belton of Searching Char, introducing me to my first tea of the morning while sitting among the trees and listening to the birds. I'm preparing a tea that I have been in love with these few days. It is called Gu Shu Black Tea, originally from Yunnan. Gu Shu means tea tree with uh, hundreds years of aging, of growing. It has very subtle, very minimal caffeine content, making it a very suitable drinks in the evening. And because it is very old tree age, the tea itself contains over 10 mineral substances that is good for body. So when we drink it, we will feel quite different from drinking other teas. So how is make you feel different? You will feel very, oh, the chi flow is very smooth. So it is very Chinese medicine, Chinese theory way. So I'm feeling this chi coming through my body. Yeah, and in you saying, out. so you've got all of these minerals yep. that have been created by this old tree. Yeah. Here we are in Shater Garden. We've got pedestrians walking past. It's uh, actually a lovely, cool morning. And uh, we've also been visited by a, a variety of birds here. I wonder if you can hear a bit of bird song in the trees. We've got Belle here just pouring out some hot water that she's brought in flask. So we are adapting a little bit. So you've put the tea leaves in now to, to brew. But tell me, you've got on your side a wooden cup. Can you tell me about that? That wooden cup is just I supported some Hong Kong wood crafting workshops. It is actually a phoenix tree in Hong Kong. Phoenix. Yeah, the tree name, the species is called Phoenix tree. It is very common in Hong Kong. And I quite like this texture. It uh, fits well into the teapot, very rough clay. I don't like really fine porcelain or elements. It is one of the kind of expressing the tea art. Yeah, keeping it natural. Yes, yep. so it's not refined porcelain, as you say. Your pot feels like lovely stoneware, actually. Yes. And um, you've got this carved cup that you've done yourself. How clever. I've got a very nice crockery cup on my side, and we're about to drink our tea. Gushu black tea. Oh, it's very nice. It's uh, quite light. Um, it's very light. Yes. But then it is rich. Yes. It's it is a lot of taste in it. Yeah, it is light but rich. And because it is gushu, okay, gushu in English literal translation means ancient tree, easier for understanding. For this ancient tree, you will taste very subtle, very soft, a little bit creamy. Even our throat here can feel the smoothiness. 
What I mentioned before, the qi flow, maybe you can feel a little bit heat inside your body after drinking a few zip. And this is for winter then? Yes, for winter. And in fact, I think for spring as well, because this qi flow can repel, I mean, expel the coldness, the humidity inside your body. So it will make you feel lighter in the springtime because Hong Kong humidity problem is really big issue for our body. We will feel sick, we will feel dizziness, we will feel very tired. So this tea could help us to out dehumid. Now, when you have leaves like that, you've put them in a small pot there. Can you add water again? I mean, can you use it more than once, the, the tea leaves? Yes, of course. Uh, since I'm using the traditional Gaiwan, this is Gaiwan brewing method, you can pour in water few times. Sometimes some tea leaves can endure 10 brewing. So, so it's quite economical. It's very, it forces you to take time, which yes. is not very a common scene in Hong Kong, you know what I mean? Like, like Hong Kong are prone to tea bags, quick, fast. Yep. But I also want to point out that youngsters nowadays, they are not very far away from this because like, I, I'm also young. I found that to attract them into an old form of tradition, you have to design a lot. Design in terms of the ritual way, how you're going to present the photos. So the packaging that goes with it, really. Yep, and, yeah. the, and the storytelling. Yes. And I really appreciate the, the young customers here in Hong Kong because like our brand and my vision my philosophy is that I don't want everything to be commercialized in Hong Kong I don't want everything to look standardized in China they have a standard to rank how great a tea is in every country I think that produce tea they have a clear standard that is made by the country I'm not a very strong believer for this system I think Okay, it has its own purpose, right? Because for import or export purpose, it is easier to understand. However, as us as an individual, I mean, the beauty is you have to know what is your own preference. Are you brave enough to say that you don't like this tea when the other groups are yes. saying they like it's it? It's like wine or anything, isn't it? There's always going to be that element of personal preference. Yeah. I remember going to Sri Lanka and I was there in the tea plantations and I remember going and seeing the people that, that taste the different types of tea and there were all these little cups queued up, little white porcelain cups for the taster to check that particular, well, that year or that season's lot of tea and there were there, all the ladies out in the tea plantation who were gathering up the leaves and putting them in bags on their backs. Now, you, you go across the border in order to source your tea. So what farm do you go to? I started to visit tea farms after the COVID. So I visited Hangzhou, Yunnan. The other teas in Taiwan is uh, using my connection, which I built up in my teenage. <laughs> okay, so I, yeah, I went to Hangzhou and Yunnan for the tea farm. Uh, and are they large or describe them to me? Like for Hangzhou, there is a very popular tea place called West Lake. West Lake. That tea place produces one green tea. The very popular one is called Longjin. Longjin is originally a handcraft one. Okay, but then it is a full handcraft, 
half handcraft and then machine craft. <laughs> oh, okay. So, what, what would handcraft? What would the difference be then if you had a handcrafted tea? So, is it the way it's picked or the way it's picked is yeah, obviously because from the picking, the tea lady has to pick one bud or one bud two leaves. So it must be hand picked, and then the wittering process, the hand frying process, it、uh, combines together becomes a 100% handcraft one. They pan fry the leaves. Yep, yep, yep. So Longjing, if you、uh, have a chance to taste it, it will taste quite nutty, right? It is due to the caramelization、uh, during the heat process of pan frying. You have a big pan. Heating up by mostly nowadays they don't use wood fire, they use electricity to heat up the pan. But then the sifu will use the bare hand to feel the humidity of the tea leaves, sense the aroma of the tea leaves, to determine、uh, which day it gonna stop the tea leaves to further going. It is part of the drying process and to enhance the aroma to stop. The tea to go further oxidizing, further fermentation process, or in the pan fry process. So all of this is done on on the farm, or yes. Do you go to several plantations, or this one in Westlake? I just visited two tea farms there because、uh, you have to show that you are willing to buy in order to visit their tea farms. So <laughs> yeah, so pretty much using my privilege as a tea importer. And so now, do they regularly send their products to you down in Hong Kong, or do you go and fetch them? Westlake is a bit special. Like they do not send sample because good tea leaves, good green tea, they'll go completely sold out in just less than one month. So they do not have sample. Every year, I will just contact them, you know, a few months before April, the spring harvest season, to pre-order. And then they send it down to Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. Now, tell me a little bit more about you, Belle. You've decided to go into tea. What were you before? I started this brand like three years ago, and before this journey, I was a student for the Academy for Performing Arts, Hong Kong APA, studying folk music. Folk music, the classical singing method. A whole training process is. Over ten years, even before I get into this school, I remember in my childhood I aspired to be a classical opera singer on the stage. However, after I entered the school for four years, maybe because of stress or whatever reason, I my vocal cord just get tired or broken or stuff. That must have been very disappointing for you at the yes, time. Yes, yes. At that time, it's really, it's really because you know、uh, I have put in like ten years or、yes. my dedication to that. Every day, I just keep practicing in a room of piano and four walls. Nobody out there. However, I think I'm I'm quite strong enough. Like there is a graduation recital that I have to perform, and I prepared it one years before the recital. And since then, I have promised to myself, okay, after this recital, I want to escape or quit because I don't want myself to. Bear such responsibility or the stress. It is not emotional healthy. Yes. So I have to pick another instrument. Yeah, that how it goes. So after that, before I even went to tea, <laughs> I study some sort of Chinese medicine in、uh-huh. Wu Dan Shan, Wu Dan Shan, which is where next to Wuhan,、mm-hmm. next to Wuhan. 
Wudang Shan is a very also traditional martial art, Chinese medicine practitioner way. So you were there for a number of months or? Yeah, I was there for one to two months. Did you find that after you'd tried or for so many years have been involved in the performing arts, this stress, suddenly you're in a completely different environment. Yeah. Did you find with the Chinese medicine and uh, being in that kind of environment that it actually strengthened you? Oh, yes. You know, in focal performance in, in performing arts, I mean, especially in Hong Kong scene, they train you to be a performer. They want you to be more outshine. The, the aspects of you has to be very outward. However, I'm more inward. Yeah, inward person. So after my focal cord doesn't work anymore, I don't want to speak. It is very sad. I don't want to speak for a few years. So I started to travel to China from that moment, from Wudang Shan to other places to seek what is the wisdom and what is my life is about. And I find that tea is especially heals me because I don't have to speak. This is very true. I don't have to speak and it has a lot of way, a lot of formats to express myself in the tea. This is the true story. Yes. Yeah. And uh, oh, how healing. And uh, as you say, and I have this image of this, <laughs> this peacefulness, this, this yeah. introspection. Yeah. So you're there near Wuhan and you're, you're steadily learning all of this. Yeah, the more inner aspects of the tea, there are many ways and forms for you to understand each tea. Not only about the taste, you can extend your imagination to how you feel about the tea. For example, every tea, they have its characteristic. For example, this uh, Gushu black tea is very smooth, it's very calm. Let's not forget that tea itself can enhance our you know, understanding to what is beauty and imagination. Just watching the tea leaves to open or drinking the tea soup, you can trigger your thoughts, emotions or stuff. In very long history, who will study tea? Like who will brew tea? It must be very high class in the very, very early, early history. But then after the Ming Dynasty emperor called Zhu Yuan Zhang is a Chinese emperor just changed the entire system to make this uh, tea from very high class to simple and to let everybody to enjoy like they have two two different characters uh, from the Gushu black tea and also the other tea I have brought today is called Lapsan Shou Shou which is very smoky if you can remember that smell. Oh yes, that is smoky. How do they produce that then? They sort of barbecue it or something. <laughs> barbecue on fire, yeah? Kind of, kind of. It is the world's earliest black tea to be exported to Europe. And we say afternoon tea culture, English afternoon tea culture, stuff from this tea. Oh. The way that we've got it, which I think is incredibly civilized here at Cheetah Garden today with you and your flasks, and you've got your beautiful wooden carved cup. You're pouring more hot water into a gaiwan. So it's a small pot with a top. 
when you're selling your tea how do you you know with your business are you selling it online or are you at pop-up shops very sadly i don't have a website yet <laughs> but i'm trying hard to create it because i really want every aspect to be what i call aesthetically beautiful so i put in a lot of effort in creating that sense that branding part right now i'm doing ig shop facebook and also some pop-ups yes for pop-ups i would just show up whenever i got new teas so our fans will come and try new teas every time and i tell them the story behind i educate on the at the pop-up what is the best way to grow this tea also I think our customer likes to support small business. I have worked a lot with a Taiwan tea roaster. Taiwan is most famous for oolong. Of course, Taiwan also has black tea. They don't much have green tea or white tea. Over 70% of the teas are oolong. I really like the charcoal roasting method of Taiwan. It is their traditional way of preserving the tea because after the roasting method teas are going to be just like poor they can place many many years so i work very closely with a very old tea roaster in taiwan right. he is very old and quite a scholar or pioneer in the tea roasting industry he put a lot of thoughts in his roasting process so what it makes roasting process very attractive to me it is because it's just like a chef to cook his meal i like the way that he has thought to try something which is not defined by the book of charcoal roasting to try his own method to try his own taste so i have another oolong called parameter oolong which has a pineapple taste pineapple yeah tastes like pineapple kind of sweet and roasting quality soothing is his invention belton there who provides small farm teas at a company searching char you can find bell on facebook and instagram at searching char so from teas to a tunnel last week robbie brothers joined me to talk about how he ran the company which oversaw the construction of our first Cross Harbour Tunnel, which was opened in the summer of 1972. This opening down in the tunnel is reported on by Radio Hong Kong. There would be another later opening with Britain's Princess Alexandra. Here you hear parts of the speeches of businessman John Marden, of Wheelock Marden, and also then-Governor Sir Murray McElhose. Good evening to you from 90 feet below water in the middle of the harbour. I'm standing about 20 feet away from a curtain which has been erected across the centre of the tunnel in the easternmost of the two tubes. And a very colourful sight, in fact. Red satin with the Cross Harbour Tunnel in English in yellow and in white Chinese characters the same words. There's an enormous crowd here now. People have just been coming down from the entrance to the tunnel at the Kowloon end where His Excellency a few moments ago arrived and is now inspecting the administration building. As I stand here to my left beyond the television arc light and television cameras, as I look along towards the Kowloon end of the tube, all parallel lines appear to converge to a point and just before they do, 
the road suddenly disappears very, very steeply up towards the surface. Along the center of the tunnel roof, there are fluorescent lights, and either side of these, at intervals of about 100 yards, are red signal lights, red in both lanes at the moment. The two lanes in each tunnel, by the way, and the red or green light above the lane indicates which lane to use. There's also an amber flashing light, which of course is turned off at the moment to indicate that you should proceed with caution. If you've just arrived in Hong Kong, you may wonder just how long this harbour tunnel must have taken to build. Uh, well, in fact, it took an amazingly short time. Work was commenced just under three years ago. Uh, in fact, the first suggestion that we should have a road across the harbour was made by the harbour master, Commander Murray Ramsey, in 1902. And it wasn't until 1966 that the harbour seabed was tested with the uh, idea of building a tunnel. Uh, two years later, 1968, in intensive discussions and negotiations started. The go-ahead was given and work started in September 1969. And just 13 months later, the first tunnel tube unit was launched. And I'm standing inside one of these now. Uh, the units were between 320 and 370 feet long each. And these were made up in pairs, parallel, side by side, and were towed out into the harbor, having been sealed at each end, and then sunk into position, having been coated with 18 inches of concrete. And then the roadway and the internal walls and ceiling were built inside the tube. In fact, it's just a few months, uh, the 20th of February this year was the date when the final bulkhead between the last unit to be laid and the preceding unit was removed and the company directors were able to walk through from one side of the harbour to the other for the very first time. The crowd around here now is increasing enormously. There's an area of, I suppose, uh, 40 feet by just over 20 feet where the official guests are standing. And now Mr. John Martin has just arrived on the platform and is about to introduce His Excellency the Governor. Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, there have been many instances during the life of this project when we have gathered together to celebrate attaining a further step, bringing us nearer the eventual day when vehicular traffic would move without hindrance across the harbour. We have now reached that time, and putting aside our own feelings, I am sure all who are gathered here today can sense that with the completion of this tunnel, Hong Kong itself will have taken a major step forward. In the annals of Hong Kong's history, the opening of the Cross Harbour Tunnel will be regarded as an important milestone in our development, and one which was indicative of the faith and confidence of those who live in Hong Kong had in the future. We have a tunnel which we believe to be superior in its design construction and operational techniques to any other in the world. We have a first-class operational staff in whom we have every confidence and we are indebted to the Murthy Tunnel Board for seconding one of their senior officers to help us in their training. We have in fact received a cable from them today wishing the tunnel every success. Visitors from all corners of the globe will pass through the tunnel and I'm sure you will agree with me that we can point to Hong Kong's tunnel with justifiable pride and satisfaction. Less than three years ago, the then governor of Hong Kong, Sir David Trench, started the project off by breaking the earth on the Hung Hom reclamation 
which at that time was just a barren wasteland. To have achieved completion ahead of schedule has been no mean achievement for the contractors. The leader of the construction consortium is Costain International Limited, a subsidiary of Richard Costain Limited of the United Kingdom. The other two members of the consortium are Paul Y Construction Company Limited of Hong Kong and Raymond International Inc. of the United States. They have, of course, been assisted by many hundreds of other subcontractors, large and small. They have all played their part, but I would particularly mention Redpath Dorman Long, who supplied and fabricated all the steel work for the tunnel, and N.V. Phillips of Eindhoven, Hong Kong, who tackled the immensely complicated job of supplying and installing the electrical and mechanical equipment. Finance is also as an important an ingredient as concrete, steel, and electronics. And apart from the shareholders, that is my own company, Wheelock, the Wheelock Marden Group, Sir Douglas Cage's company, the Hutchison International Group, the Hong Kong government, the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank, Mr. R.C. Lee's group, and the Kaduris, we have to thank Lloyds Bank Limited and the ECGD, the Department of Her Majesty's Government, for our financing and or guaranteeing, in their various ways, the money for the project. The tunnel company has been fortunate to have as its consulting engineers Messrs. Scott Wilson and Kirkpatrick of England and Hong Kong, and Freeman Fox and Partners of London. I'd also like to mention the architects for the tunnel, Robert Matthew Johnson Marshall and Partners of the UK. You have seen the admin building for yourself, and I'm sure you will agree with me that it and the graceful lines of the tunnel itself are most impressive. I would also like to pay a special tribute to the Hong Kong government. I am sure that almost every department has been involved in the planning and construction of the tunnel at one time or another. The company have been able to call on government for advice and assistance at all times of day and night, and it would be impossible to estimate or quantify their contribution to this project. It is therefore particularly fitting that His Excellency Sir Murray McLehoe should have honoured us with his presence here today. Finally, there is one person whose name I will say individually. He has been part and parcel of the project for as long as I can remember and has liaised with all parties concerned with the tunnel, especially the directors, sometimes under very great stress, and in all parts of the world with great zeal and cheerfulness. And that is Bobby Brothers. Asking Your Excellency to open the tunnel, on behalf of the board, management and staff, I would like to present you with a tunnel time. <laughs> Mr. Marden, members of the tunnel company, ladies and gentlemen, I am most honoured to perform this act of declaring the tunnel open on this day that everyone in Hong Kong has awaited so eagerly. The occasion is one that can really be described as historic. The linking of the island of Victoria with the peninsula of Kowloon. There are many other problems in Hong Kong, just as urgent, just as large, just as exciting, just as apparently insoluble as this one once seemed. We should surely take heart from this achievement to believe that if this can be done, so too can many other things. 
It is with this thought that I have the greatest pleasure in declaring this tunnel open. Cuts a ribbon which is placed between two lecterns on the table on the platform and behind him the curtains open revealing the tunnel is now open. This banner is raised and tears part to each side as His Excellency steps down and walks through to the official reception in the Hong Kong half of the tunnel. Voices there from down in the Cross Harbour Tunnel in the summer of 1972. My thanks also to Belton of Searching Char. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>